The Talking Points podcast is produced in partnership with C. Michael Gibson and clinicaltrialresults.org. Mike Gibson, Octavio Berwinger, coming to you virtually from AHA 2020, and we're talking about the river study, looking at anticoagulation in the setting of bioprosthesis. Octavio, talk to us a little bit about why you did the river study. So the uh, patients with atrial fibrillation in a bioprostatic mitral valve, they require long-term anticoagulation, but the optimal strategy remains uncertainty to this date. And especially in terms of DOACs, we just have evidence for small subgroup analysis from pivotal trials. For example, just 31 patients with bioprostatic mitral valves were included in the Aristotle trial, and just, 100, just 131 patients were included in the ENGAGE trial. So less than 200 patients in both trials together, and patients with bioprostatic mitral valves were excluded from the Rocket AF trial. So up to this point, we have no evidence whatsoever with rivaroxaban in this population and no dedicated trial. So we decided to test this, this question in a specifically designed trial. And how many patients uh, and what were the endpoints? So, so this trial included 1,005 patients. They were randomly assigned. So these were patients, once again, with atrial fibrillation and a bioprostatic mitral valve. They were randomly assigned rivaroxaban, the same scheme as Brocket, 20 milligrams per day or 50 milligrams daily if renal dysfunction or warfarin, of course, with a target INR between two and three. The primary adjudicated endpoint was a net clinical endpoint of all-cause mortality, major cardiovascular events, which are, were mainly thrombotic events like valve thrombosis, stroke, uh, central non-central nervous system embolism, or major bleeding at 12 months. And the main analysis we did using the restricted mean survival time methodology. That means the event-free survival time in both groups. And what did you find? So it was, was very interesting. This was designed as a non-inferiority trial. And we, we set the non-inferiority margin. This was a fixed uh, follow-up time of 365 days, so one year. So we established a non-inferiority margin of 2% of this fixed time point, which correspond to eight days. So at, at the end of 12 months, the event-free survival time was 7.4 days longer in the rivaroxaban than in the warfarin group. And the 95 confidence interval ranged, for, ranged from 1.4 days in favor of warfarin to 6.3 days in favor of, if, sorry, in favor of rivaroxaban. So, uh, so in the end, when we compare the lower boundary with our specified margin of eight days, we could conclude, we could confirm the non-inferiority of rivaroxaban in this patient population. This was according to the intention to treat analysis. We also performed as treated and per protocol analysis. And in this analysis, the event-free time was also more or less nine and 10 days longer with rivaroxaban than with warfarin. And this analysis not only suggested that rivaroxaban is non-inferior to warfarin, but also that rivaroxaban was superior to warfarin. Uh, 
we also measure other endpoints, uh, including cardiovascular mortality and thrombobolic events. The, numerically, they were lower in the river oxaban than in a warfarin group, but that not reached, didn't reach its statistical significance. However, the incidence of stroke was lower with rivaroxaban as compared to warfarin. This reached statistical significance, but of course, due to the low number of events and the lack of adjustment for multiplicity, of course, these are findings that we should interpret it with caution. Bleeding rates were somewhat lower in the rivaroxaban than in the warfarin group. We, we didn't find any difference in terms of statistical significance. Nevertheless, they pointed towards the direction of rivaroxaban. Tavi, did you do any net benefit analyses where you lump together safety and effectiveness? I mean, with both things going the right direction, I imagine you would have seen some significant net benefits there. Exactly, exactly, Dr. Gibson. Actually, our, our primary endpoint was exactly that because we included all-cause mortality, major cardiovascular events, or major bleeding. Oh, okay. And, okay. Yes, and, they, and, they, and then the event free, free time was, was indeed longer with rivaroxaban than with warfarin, and even superior when we analyze it according to the per protocol and a treated analysis. One interesting finding from this trial, this is a subgroup analysis. So of course it's hypothesis generating at best, is the fact that patients that were randomized up to three months after surgery, this uh, represented around 20% uh, of our population. And this patient population were excluded from our study or, or engagement for all previous trials. So in this specific subgroup, we found evidence of an interaction. So in these patients, the event free survival time was 35 days longer in rivaroxaban than in warfarin, specifically for this primary net clinical endpoint, suggesting superiority of rivaroxaban as compared with warfarin. Of course, this is a subgroup analysis, just 20% of our population and should be interpreted with caution. Great, well, thanks for correcting me on the primary endpoint. It's a net benefit endpoint. Good to see you integrated both safety uh, and effectiveness there. Uh, benefit, uh, do you think uh, this will change practice, Otavio? Well, uh, up to this point, this is the largest study. The, the results are coming out in the New England Journal of Medicine. So it's, uh, we, we believe that at least uh, this, this could, yes, inform clinical practice. I think is the largest study ever conducted. Of course, it's not a 18,000 patient trial, 15,000 patient trial. But of course, since we use it restricted mean survival time, that doesn't depend on the number of events. This one advantage or the assumption of proportional hazards as we do in time to event analysis. So I think it's the largest trials to date. And I would say that yes, it could inform clinical practice. And at least now we have an alternative in, in this population, especially in terms, as you mentioned, if we lump together efficacy and safety. Well, congratulations on how hard it is to do these trials. And, um, you know, Brazil has just done an amazing job here in the COVID era, both in doing COVID trials. And here we are with a non-COVID trial. Great to see, uh, you know, Brazil re really leading the way uh, these days in trials. And congratulations to you, Otavio, for leading the way in this study. Thanks very much, Dr. Gibson. And in fact, our group was very involved with the coalition COVID-19 Brazil. Uh, so yes, I mean, I think we, we, in the, we 
you know, joint forces, different institutions, of course. And I think the, our way out of this very difficult times is through science, generating sound evidence. So I think, yes, we are proud in Brazil that we were able to give some answers, but of course, cardiology, despite the very importance, the, the importance of the COVID-19 pandemic, we still have a lot of burden associated with cardiovascular disease, uh, valvular heart disease. Uh, our guidelines are, are based most on expert opinion. So of course, generating uh, sound randomized evidence in this, er in this area, it's also desirable. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Great work. And uh, thanks for joining us today, Octavia. And thanks to all of you for joining us here virtually from AHA 2020.